You're listening to Car Free Midwest. We're a podcast based in Omaha, Nebraska, exploring the stories, barriers, and joys of getting around the Midwest without a car. Our goal is to build a community around more transportation equity and less car dependency. I'm Sarah Johnson. And I'm Joshua LeBure. And this is Car Car Free Midwest. Midwest. Well, welcome to Car Free Midwest. We've got some folks from Des Moines who reached out, um, Brandon and Addison. So usually we start with a little bit of an intro. You want to tell us what you're up to and who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Addison and I'm from Des Moines. Um, You guys have talked about Des Moines a few times on the show and you met with Alex from the Bike Collective. And so Brandon and I are getting our planning degrees from uh, the University of Iowa, our master's in um, planning. And what? Iowa State. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Iowa State. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since we became friends in um, 2020, we've kind of connected a lot on urban planning and design and um, studying that together. And we've kind of honed in on a few issues that we're very passionate about, one of which is uh, car-dependent infrastructure and all the problems that that causes on cities and on individual individuals and economies. And so, we were looking around at Des Moines and looking into if there were any groups that were already doing kind of work explicitly addressing the problems of car infrastructure. Um, we didn't really find one, so we decided to kind of start our own. So we're in those beginning stages of making our own sort of car-free Des Moines organization. Yeah, so I'm Brandon. Um, I was born and raised in Des Moines. I've lived in a couple other cities in Iowa, but I've spent most of my adult life in, here in Des Moines and like the surrounding areas. I'm, yeah, as Addison mentioned, I'm also a master's student at Iowa State studying community and regional planning. Um, and I'd just like to say that we're both looking forward to having this conversation with you guys. Yeah, very much so. Awesome. Well, we're super, we actually, yeah. Yeah, we actually just interviewed uh, Jeff Speck yesterday. So I'm excited to talk more about city planning and urban planning, stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's so far better than talking to engineers. Although I, that's that's like just a bold-faced lie. We haven't even invited any engineers on here. We're so like bummed on <laughs> Omaha's public works department. Yeah. yeah. I guess maybe that would just be, again, this is random shit comes to brains and then it comes out of my mouth. So like just, we're always kind of bummed on the Omaha public works planning department relationship. Do you, and maybe you don't know the answer to this question. That's fine. But what is your perception of the relationship between Des Moines Public Works and Planning Department? Do they play well together? Do they communicate? Does Public Works just make all the decisions and planning seems to just be keeping seats warm? Tell us a little bit about that, if you know. Well, to me, it seems like a lot of the, um, at least action that gets taken in the planning arena in Des Moines comes from some sort of political action. Um, like the planners might have an idea for what they want to do, but it ultimately comes down to what the city council wants. And the developers that are working with the city council and that kind of stuff. So we, I would say we do have some good planners in Des Moines, but sometimes it can be hard to get things passed through. Yeah. We met with um, three planners in Des Moines a few weeks ago with some other people at, in the CRP program in Iowa state. And they talked a lot Well, they were mostly talking about sort of like the um, certification exam. And so that was the bulk of the conversation. But then at the end, one of my, one of our peers asked them, it's like, um, do you like your job? Do you feel like, like, why do you, do you enjoy what you're doing? And they said, like, we actually, we came into it wanting to make a difference and make the city better and um, make people's lives better. And they're like, we, we do feel like we get to do that. 
Um, so that implies to me that they feel like they are making a difference and they're not like totally held back by bureaucracy. But obviously there's lots of things that need to be done. And, um, it can all be addressed by a comprehensive plan. <laughs> totally. I guess, so I have so many questions for you. What, what was it? Was it that goal of improving people's lives that got you both into planning? I would say for me, definitely. I didn't know what I wanted to do after I graduated from undergrad in Minnesota. But at the same time, I also had this like subconscious desire to study urban planning because I was looking into it. I just didn't really know what it was. And then I went and lived in Armenia for a while. Um, and like even living there in, in the capital and like being in a place that's so well designed and like there's public transit, I never needed to use a car once. Um, I didn't realize it then, but I was learning what a good city feels like. And then coming back to Des Moines, the pandemic hitting and then meeting Brandon and him already kind of having some knowledge of that. Like I realized that planning is what I'm passionate about because I'm not an engineer, I'm not a designer, but I do, I'm really interested in like making people's lives better and serving people um, and sort of being a sort of generalist and a pragmatist. Brandon, what about you? Yeah, likewise. Um, I've kind of stumbled around like different interests and ideas and career paths and planning is kind of what I've stuck on recently and I enjoy it because it feels like I'm able to take a bigger picture view of things. I actually worked in an engineering firm for six months and the things I was doing there were just like too small of a scale to really feel like I was making much of a difference. Um, but as planning, I feel like most people don't really recognize that the spaces that they're inhabiting are spaces that someone intentionally designed. And some of the issues that arrive in those places are a product of, of design and a product of input that from the communities that exist there. And I know that personally growing up, I had no idea of this. I kind of just thought things kind of were how they were because of some external force. <laughs> and so as I started to get older and started to experience other cities, I became more and more critical of like the areas that I'm in and, you know, thinking about how these areas could be improved. So of course, you know, I, since you've listened to the show, you know, we always kind of talk about the political climate of the cities, which obviously influence a lot of outcomes. So from your perspective, what does Des Moines look like? Do you have a progressive enough council and or mayor that it's easy to get you know, and I hate that it's like progressive to install things that aren't like totally just only car, everything like massive parking lots, you know, all those things. Cause that's what we obviously run into a lot in Omaha is it's a car town always has been, always will be. Those are the words of our mayor. And so a lot of the policies that we see trickle down from them at that mentality. And it's really, it can be challenging. So I'm just wondering how do you feel as far as like hope for the political system in Des Moines? So I'll start and say that if we only look at these things coming about through progressive policies, it's not looking great. We have at least one city council member, uh, Indira, who um, is fantastic, very progressive. She has a lot of things on her plate to deal with, though, and I don't know if like transportation justice is at the top of her list, but it's definitely something that like if we brought it up in her sort of side council, the people's town hall, I think it could become a bigger thing, which is something we want to do. But um, there's this organization called Strong Towns. Are you familiar with them? I'm sure you are. Absolutely, yeah. And so I didn't realize the longest time when I was like listening to people talk about them and like read their articles that 
they're kind of a conservative group, or at least they were founded by a conservative guy. And But they're still coming to a lot of the same conclusions that more progressive planners, urbanists come to. And so that kind of gives me hope that like, there is a lot of caution building that can be made with um, people from, you could say, the other side. Um, because it's it's not just a left-wing issue. Like Conservatives maybe are more um, concerned with fiscal responsibility as like their primary issue. We'll see that car-dependent infrastructure um, is damaging and unsustainable in an economic way. And so that gives me a lot of hope that even if we don't have a very progressive political system here in Des Moines, that there's still work that can be done. That's super smart to recognize right off the bat that it should try to stay as politically neutral as possible, because I think that that's one, I don't want to say mistake, but y'all know uh, Mode Shift Omaha is our local transportation advocacy nonprofit that I one of many co-founders back in 2011. And we kind of got, well, we got started under the previous administration, um, the last mayor three terms ago, because now Stothert's just starting her third term. But before Stothert, we had a little bit different kind of climate politically, and it was definitely not seen as political. It was just like he he understood, like, yes, it makes financial sense. Yes, it makes environmental sense. Yes, it, you know, like all of the things, safety, like who can argue against that? Um, and then, you know, when Stothert got elected, she, in the first budget she passed, she eliminated our bike ped coordinator. She, you know, started doing these things that weren't just stagnant. It's actually, it was like regressive, which was a bummer. But so anyway, all that to say, mode shift kind of got painted as like this, um, you know, liberal activists, you know, which I mean, yeah, we do activate and we do show up on corners with picket signs. So like, I suppose, but it's just smart, I guess, you know, in the beginnings of this new org that y'all are hoping to get launched, keeping as neutral as possible in some ways is helpful. I guess the flip side to that is if you are working kind of like tag teaming shit with another org, hypothetically, like we've got another um, organization that's a statewide org, but they're based in Omaha called Bike Walk Nebraska. High five, Julia Harris, if you're listening. Um, But she is like the ultimate diplomat, super low key, like we're buddies and, you know, we'll exchange texts from time to time. That's a little bit more like, this is so frustrating, but like she comes across as like, okay, that was, you know, like to me, I'd be like, like my mind exploding. And she's like, all right, we're going to just pivot. She's so much cooler. Um, and that has been like an interesting kind of tag team situation where like mode shift will be the ones who are like calling the mayor out on her lies because that absolutely happens. Uh, and then, but then that doesn't really like make the mayor want to play nice with us. But then bike walk Nebraska comes in and is the one who actually like has the partnership to get this pilot project actually activated. So it can be kind of interesting um, if you have that duality, you know, of like the activists who are out there and like, you know, holding folks more vocally, like more accountable and working with the media and that sort of thing. And then you have some other folks who are like more kind of slow and steady wins the race, which is not my style. But have you all thought about that? Do you know kind of how you're going to position yourselves? Are you working with any other partners? So many questions. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, I do also want to comment on, I think it's like really strange that it's considered left wing to like fight for more multimodal or left wing. Did I say left wing? I think it's weird that it's considered left wing to, to be fighting for more multimodal transportation when it's like, we know, sure. It's better for climate change. Like maybe more liberal people like bikes, but I don't know. I know a lot of right-wing cyclists. I've been on group bike rides and realized I was riding next to a libertarian or something. 
Uh, and, our governor is as yeah. you know, our governor is like mega conservative and he rides a bike, you know, so like that's yeah. why it is it is silly. I agree, Josh, when it gets pegged as like a liberal agenda. Yeah, but it's also, like a, it's, it's also better for business. It's better for the cities. It saves cities money in the long run. Like it's a big investment up front, but it's like it, it makes for better small businesses. Like, I don't know. It's really interesting. It's a smaller investment than damn highway expansion, which is no problem for people to do night and day. Yeah. And people will be like, well, how are we going to pay for buses or trains? It's like, how do you think we pay for highways, freeways? Like they're not self-sustaining either. They require like way more um, public public funds than, than any other sort of public transit. I mean, at least it's comparable. So it's, it's a very strong argument. But you had a question. I think Brandon was going to answer it. So I guess, yeah, we're just really starting out as an organization. We haven't done too much. Uh, one of our big pushes right now is for a bike-free uh, or a car-free day in, in Des Moines, um, which we're going to do the same day as like the International Car-Free Day. Um, but yeah, we really want to talk to you guys about like some of the some of the action that you've been able to do in, in Omaha and what kind of things and kind of advice that you'd have for us. How much time do you have? Uh, it's <laughs> so like, yeah. Okay. Well, we, I mean, golly. So I guess I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background on mode shift. Um, I don't know how much, you know, and stop me at any time or interrupt, feel free. But so mode shift Omaha started in 2011 when, um, there was like the transportation element of the master plan was being revamped and kind of updated. And there were a handful of us that were invited to be stakeholders because, you know, we were already the ones that were kind of showing up at city hall and that sort of thing. So we were there and, um, kind of helped with the updating of this plan. And at the end, when the city of Omaha was going to like roll it out to the community at large, uh, they were like, and it's this one particular guy in planning who I, I do like his name's Eric Miller. He's just like the most monotone, boring voice man and i was like okay derek like this is legit he because he presented it to mode shift when we were just like a little tiny working group um and he was like you know we're gonna have a powerpoint presentation in a boardroom and we were like that sounds boring like do you actually want folks to understand how this is going to be exciting like what if we shut down harney street again this was over a decade ago we had talked about this bike lane as like one of the top priorities for for the plan and it's like why don't we shut the street down and like paint the bike lane and like show what a protected bike lane could look like and have like a festival and blah, blah, blah. And I was just spitballing kind of as I was going. And he's like, okay, do you want to do that? Not, I did not think he was going to like say, okay, do it. And I was like, yeah. So we just kind of threw it together. Um, we had, we call it the heyday on May day. Um, but three, okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. Cause the reason that mode shift really, really got real about this stuff was we were talking to the consultants when they were kind of finalizing some of these elements of the master plan. And we said, okay, this is a beautiful looking bike lane, but like, how do we get that plan off of the shelf and into reality? Because I'm sure you're aware a lot of times the best plans don't go anywhere. So um, we asked and the consultants said, well, usually it's a grassroots grassroots group of, you know, advocates who push the city to actually hold them accountable to these things that they say they want to do. And that was the day where a clipboard went around and everybody who was interested in starting that grassroots coalition, put their name on a piece of paper. So that's kind of how mode shift started because we had seen that happen too many times where it's like, like, yeah, plans are cool. Studies seem to be never ending, but then like, where is this infrastructure that we look at, you know, on a piece of paper, how about we look at it in reality? So that's kind of how we started. And then, you know, 
a lot of what we did in the early days, and again, this was with the previous administration. So it was more just like information sharing and getting folks excited about how this could positively impact their lives. Like we did do that heyday on May Day where we shut the street down. We got permission from Public Works, you know, worked with all of the departments that were necessary. Um, had a, a stage with some bands and food trucks and Metro, our transit, you know, like buses showed up. We were showing people how to put bikes on buses, like just kind of we borrowed trees from nurseries and like did an actual tree protected bike lane. Like I was really proud of it. It turned out like really legit. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to 2021, it, it got installed last year. So literally it was a decade of just talking about this flipping bike lane. The city still didn't want to even put any money into it. Cause again, once Stother got elected, she eliminated our bike ped coordinator because she said we already had bike lanes. So we didn't need, it'd be like, we already have roads, so we don't need traffic engineer, you know, like that's just not how it works. But so, um, after she got elected, it kind of turned into a little bit more of mode shift were the we just got so frustrated because we went into it like open-minded, like, okay, we can work with whoever. Let's just all keep understanding that these are good initiatives for the entirety of our community. It's not just like people on bikes want this. It's like, how about sidewalks? How about curb cuts? How about this radical idea that folks could get to the bus stop, you know? Um, but unfortunately <sighs> there were some things that did and didn't happen. And so we kind of turned up the heat in a few areas and then it turned into, you know, she just, it kind of was like oil and water. She didn't want anything to do with mode shift, but we, so then, you know, a couple uh, examples of some stuff that we've done over the years, like more recently, we advocated for a vision zero coordinator because we were so sick of seeing crash after crash, after fatality, after serious injury and zero response from the city. Um, so we put together um, a press conference and actually she found out that we were going to have a vision zero press conference. So she showed up two days before and did her own vision zero press conference. So a lot of what we've been doing is like poking her enough that she takes action and then makes it look like her idea, which is fine. Like, okay, you're brilliant. Stother. Absolutely. Like what a great idea. Let's shoot for less death on the road. But of course, you know, she had to put together a task force to decide if zero was the right number to shoot for, you know, like silly stuff, but okay, fine. So the task force sure enough says, yeah, that would be a good goal. Um, so then she hired a vision zero coordinator, but now the vision zero coordinator has been in office for a year and a half at this point and hasn't done a damn thing, uh, except for the city has decided they need to hire consultants to come up with a vision zero plan. So it's just like a lot of stall tactics, which gets so frustrating that I actually bailed on mode shift. I was working for them after I, I shut my bike shop down in 2019, had some health stuff. And obviously the pandemic happened in 2020, but then I started working for the org as their volunteer and kind of outreach person. Um, but I quit in March because I just am losing my mind. Like I've been advocating and being an activist for like, well, since I moved back in 2009 from Colorado and it's just, I'm fucking tired and I I'm too impatient and I want more progress more quickly. Um, so I finally had to kind of take a step back, but I guess my biggest advice would be take care of yourselves and don't let yourselves get burned out and be real aware of that as you're going into it, because you can't do anything 24 seven. And that's unfortunately kind of the position I found myself and put myself in stupidly. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's just a bunch of words. That was all really helpful. Thank you. And yeah, the advice of taking care of yourself was so important too. Like, we're pretty fresh in it, you know, so we have a lot of hope. Um, I consider myself to be a pretty hopeful person. 
That's crucial. I have yeah. lost hope over the years. My spirit has been broken. I started out hopeful, though. I think that's crucial. Come, maybe to switch cities, come to Des Moines. Maybe there's more we, political will here. Yeah, I mean, we are actually talking about relocating. I don't know that it would be Iowa. We're, we're looking for a less red state, frankly. But, you know, I think I mean that's the other thing that like we struggle with a lot is like if all the good folks leave all the places that need help, then who's going to be left? Plus, it's so freaking privileged to just be like, I'm going to leave. But it's not like I've been trying for. I don't know. I go back and forth. Josh, yeah. what do you think? Uh, I would love to move to Des Moines. I love Des Moines. I was actually having a conversation with. Uh, it's so funny because I was like, I, I really thought that Des Moines was a bigger city. But last time we were there, you know, we were walking around and I was like, oh, man, this like downtown so cool. And this wine bar we visited is so awesome. And this coffee shop is like so delicious. And there's tons of vegan food. Me and my wife are both vegan. And then, you know, we're just like having this great old time, like walking around. And I was like, oh, I'm curious, what's the population? And I, It's like I forgot what it is now. It's like 100,000 or something, 200,000. 200,000. 200,000 or 120 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so this city is like half the size of Omaha and it feels like a way more realized and put together city. Uh, as far as like infrastructure goes, like, uh, even just, you know, we drove there and even driving there makes more sense than our supposed car city over here because Omaha is like one of the weirdest designed cities I've ever seen. It's not designed. It feels haphazard. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's really interesting. And I was having this conversation. I'm making this film right now about um, these people that invented an instrument uh, at this place called Art Farm here in Nebraska. And, you know, her and I were talking and we were just like talking about how cool Lincoln is, you know, and then and then she was like, and I also really love Des Moines. It feels like this weird, like magical land in the Midwest. So I don't know. It's a cool little place. I like it. Um, but I don't know if I had any advice. It's like, I, I was just going to say, you know, I've, I've started organizations and stuff before and I've started businesses and stuff like that. And, and I think that, uh, you know, my only advice really is just like take time to rest and take care of each other and take care of yourselves pretty much what, what uh, Sarah said at the end. And I also think it's important to, you know, the most important thing to me is trying to think of like politics or anything political as the actual definition of the word, which is like how a group of people live together in a society and like make that society run. Uh, I think that partisan politics is pretty sickening to me and and it, it it's not that interesting either. And I think that most of the people that are very involved in partisan politics don't actually have uh, any political vision or any kind of like, uh, real, uh, uh understanding of <laughs> what politics is. Um, so I think, I think that that's important to keep in mind because then you can relate with people that are Republicans, libertarians, Marxists, anarchists, uh, Democrats, like everybody has something in common that, that you could all, uh, rally people to work together, you know? Uh, I made a film with Sarah and when she was running for city council, and actually this is one of my favorite parts of the film is she's on the phone with um, the Omaha world Herald. And I couldn't really hear what the other person was saying, but Sarah, I just hear her say, I don't know, progressive, I guess you could call me that. Uh, I, I prefer good listener. <laughs> yeah. Because of course they want to peg me as like this radical progressive that's running against like a very moderate Democrat who of course won anyway. But yeah, it was Nancy Gardner with the world Herald, and She's like, 
and I'm like, let's steer clear of the word progressive. Like people know me like, yeah, but I think that you can come up with better words than that. Cause it's so quick to get just like that polarization factor. And especially in today's just like world, everything unfortunately is there's a side, you know? So I think just remaining as, you know, when we were talking to Jeff Speck uh, yesterday, just talking about how it's hard to argue against safety, you know, like a lot of these issues come down to making spaces safer for everyone. Um, and so I think that's always a good angle, but you'll figure it out as you go too. I mean, every, every community is unique. And so it's really difficult to say what, what will or won't work, but, um, as far as like nitty gritty stuff, are y'all aiming for like a 501c3? Are you just a four? Are you going to be doing like political lobbying? Are you going to keep it super simple and not have like a formal structure? Have you thought about that at all? Cause for a while mode shift operated as just like a group of rascals, you know, like we didn't have to answer to anybody. We didn't have to like, you know, it was very casual and we talked for so long, like, and then, you know, we'd been together for a couple of years and we're like, should we, you know, cause fundraising turned into a thing. And it's like, would people be more willing to donate? If it was a write off, blah, blah, blah. Um, then we could participate in some of like the, like Omaha gives or the giving Tuesday, you know, some of the bigger fundraising, um, community wide, days and whatever. So eventually I was like, you know what? I don't like doing talking about shit for 10 years, not 10 years. In this case, it was like a couple of years. We've been, should we, shouldn't we, should we like, how about we just do it? Like we've had this conversation enough. Let's just do it. So we did like a, there's like a, a quicker way to do it. So we just, cause our operating budget was going to be so tiny at first and still is frankly. Um, so we finally did that and it did really help us with fundraising. Um, I just didn't know if that's something y'all had thought about yet or if you. Yeah, I think that um, right now we're trying to keep it relatively lean, like simple. Um, I think that also allows us kind of the flexibility later on to make the decision of like what's going to be best for the organization. Um, being that we're like in a very early stage still, there's kind of a lot of potential in different ways that we could end up going by keeping it like relatively simple. I think it gives us the most flexibility generally. Yeah. We also have to think about the fact that we're getting our masters. So, and you got a lot going on as it is. Yeah. yeah. And we have to like work to pay rent and stuff too. But this summer Details. we have a good three months to really start organizing, especially for that car-free day on September 22nd um, and try to have multiple maybe pop-ups around the city that really highlight what it's all about, what it can feel like. Because Des Moines has a lot of events that shut down streets. Like the farmer's market is huge. And 8035 is a festival downtown in the summer, uh, music festival. Um, I think there's other things too. We have, but we have celebration going on this week. Yeah, celebration going on this week. And so they're like, and it's a pretty good food truck scene in Des Moines too. We, I manage a food truck, so I'm pretty in touch with it. Um, but I feel like those events happen and people don't connect that it feels so fun to be there very much in part because you're not having to dodge cars. And so like having we already have the knowledge of how to organize events like that. We just have to put front and center. This is a car free event. It feels pretty good. Doesn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if it were like that all the time? Uh, and you guys have talked before on your podcast about Des Moines. And I think when you were talking with Alex about like the, the biking culture in Des Moines and how it's more recreational, like it's not necessarily set up for, um, for commuters. And I don't know where I was going to go with that. That is something we wanted to talk about with you. Yeah. Josh mentioned a bit ago about like how put together Des Moines feels. And I think that a lot of people 
even in like the Des Moines surrounding areas feel that way too. Like a lot of our kind of market area and like um, retail space, restaurants is all kind of in one part of the city. Um, and that's like a good thing, but can also be a pretty big issue because the suburbs of Des Moines are so much larger than Des Moines is. <laughs> like the people that live in suburbs are, there's so many more of them. And we have a lot of people that have to travel to the city and there's not necessarily a lot of good like bike infrastructure or public transit infrastructure that allow for that. Um, and even in like the context of the, the greater US, like Des Moines is kind of like right in the middle of, of the US. Um, we've got like Minneapolis directly north of us, Chicago directly east of us, Omaha directly west of us, Kansas City south of us. Um, but we don't have any sort of rail infrastructure that allows us to get to any of these places. And so even like simple things like that, that seem like they're so logical, like we just kind of don't really think about. And in Des Moines, especially like where we can see the potential for it, it gets kind of frustrating to not have anything go through or happen with it. Yeah. And there have been talks about putting Amtrak through Des Moines there were talks in 2000 about having a commuter rail use the existing rail network in Des Moines, but none of that has come to fruition at all. And so like we're, I mean, we're both 24, so we were kids when any of those things were being talked about, but now that we're here becoming planners and are wanting these things to happen, we're like, okay, can we have those things be a conversation in Des Moines again? Those are really important things. Like there's a lot of unrealized potential for, for Des Moines. Um, for all sorts of transit justice and transit mobility. It would be so incredible to be able to hop on a rail to go to Lincoln, to go to Des Moines, to go, you know, my wife, uh, you know, she works remotely, but they have an office in Cedar Rapids. So, you know, just like to be able to do that and not have to like just drive to all these places, that would be so amazing. And it, you know, and, and really that only exists in the United States on the East coast. That's really the only place you can take trains to multiple different cities. Yeah. And, and the West coast, but definitely not in the Midwest or anywhere else. The um, last coast. The last coast. No, the I last said, coast. I said last coast. Oh, oh, okay. We're we're the last coast. Yeah. You got East coast, West coast, last coast. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. We're right outside the middle of nowhere. Yeah. The Reagan, the Reagan yeah. Shirt. Uh, yes. Good old Reagan. <laughs> yeah. So do you, are you, um, when, I guess, when did this concept of starting a new org kind of come to fruition and have you, is it just you two right now? It's like super beginning stages. Have you started roping anybody else in or are you having public meetings? Tell us about kind of what that looks like. It's, you want to go first? Yeah. I mean, we have a Facebook group. So anyone who's listening to the podcast, me not at first we called it equitable transit for all in Des Moines or something like that and I switched it back to car free for a few reasons one because it's like a mouthful the first one um and but I had changed it to that from car free because I feel like some people might get turned off to car free for sure um there are so many people who just don't well, they're, first off, they might think we mean, instead of cars, we mean electric cars, which we definitely do not. <laughs> electric cars are just as bad as cars. Maybe they have Amen. slightly less emissions in their like long-term use, but in terms of like embodied energy and their production and everything, they're no better. And then you still have all the other issues of car-dependent infrastructure that go with them. So we don't mean EVs. 
Um, and people just feel it's like it's like they just feel like we're coming for their cars and we want to just take them away. It's like it's not what it is. Like it's sort of in our best interest for all of us to not use our cars as much and make ourselves aware of how hard it is to do that in anywhere in the U.S., but Des Moines in particular. So uh, we're back to the car-free name, and we like that it connects us to the larger car-free movement, um, car-free International Day, car-free Midwest, you guys. So we have the Facebook group. We'll have an Instagram group. We kind of want to start our own podcast, and then we're sort of developing like a few main issues we'd want to bring up at like public meetings and city council meetings. So, but uh, I love the Thai place though, even though it's not all vegan, but they have so many options. Uh, oh God, my, yeah, I love that place. I'm obsessed. <laughs> you know, one thing, so yeah, you were talking about Lucky Lotus on either one of the two podcasts where you explicitly <laughs> talked about the morning, and you both talked about the bike lane that they're making on Ingersoll. Remember, yep. remember talking about that? I did want to kind of follow up with that and say that now that it's built, it, I don't like it and I don't like to use it. Okay. Yeah. One, talk about it. When I was like a middle schooler and first riding my bike around Des Moines, we would be my stepdad would just like bomb Ingersoll. We called it. It was like, we would just go down the road super fast. So I'm used to not using a sidewalk or a bike lane on Ingersoll, but also, so they put in this bike lane on Ingersoll, which is one of those like economic corridors in Des Moines with a lot of businesses and restaurants, including Lucky Lotus, which we just talked about. Um, and they have this protected bike lane, which is cool, but two things. One, pedestrians don't seem to be aware of that. And so there have already been collisions with bike cyclists and pedestrians. Um, and then also there are a lot of alleyways on Ingersoll. And so cars just kind of go in and out of them really fast. And I'm, I definitely more fear for my life on the protected bike lane than being on the road, to be completely honest. Like, it's just kind of a weird place to put a protected bike lane because Ingersoll is a 25 mile per hour street anyways, I think. I mean, it looks pretty, but I'm not sure it's going to work out too well. <laughs> That's interesting. We were, we've talked, you know, about, again, our one protected pilot lane in Omaha. And it's definitely different than just riding Harney Street um, because obviously the signalization is kind of funky. Like you have to, I don't know, especially when you're, cause it's, it's a two-way bike lane on a one-way street. So none of the signals are set up expressly for folks on bikes or any traffic that's heading West in this case. And so you have to rely on the pedestrian signals. So you have to like stop and then like hope that then they've put these little sensors, but they don't always catch you. And so it's like, or you could just ride one block, you know, North on Farnham and then just like act like a car, but that's, you know, that's also, I'm going to assume y'all are the same way that we are, which we're like vehicular cyclists. Like I'm not, I'll ride year round. I don't need a bike lane. This is the type of infrastructure that gets other folks that are maybe like on the cusp of being like curious about commuting to actually take that step. It's not really built for, you know, we're year round cyclists. I, I'm yeah, going to assume you are too. I don't know. Well, I was going to bring that up too, because I'm curious, because I think Sarah and I have kind of talked about it because, um, and I would be, I'd be curious. I don't actually know the studies, uh, but I think a lot of that infrastructure, I wonder if like certain people maybe feel like safer going on it that ride slower and stuff like that. Whereas like somebody like me, I would probably skip that too, for that same exact reason. Cause even 
when I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, I would be kind of going too fast to actually like deal with cars pulling out of these parking lots. And, and literally every time I've gone there, people are walking in the bike part, like every time I've seen it. Um, so I would definitely be with you. I'd be on the street still. And that was a, that was true for me in a lot of places in Denver where when I lived there, um, especially downtown, I would generally be still in the lane because there would always be cars parked in the bike lanes or there'd be glass in it, or there'd be, uh, people just like, you know, like house unhoused folks, unfortunately, you know, Denver has a huge problem with that, like walking in the bike lane and stuff like that. So I was generally in the car lane anyway, but I wonder what the studies say. Cause I, I think that things like that to get people off the street does encourage people who are way less comfortable on bicycles to actually get on them. Um, but I do agree with you because I do, those things do scare me with cars, especially pulling out of those parking lots and, and people walking in the bike lanes. I was riding on the other day and I had to yell at somebody like three times to get out of my way. And I still didn't move because I had headphones on. So I was just like, I'm not taking this anymore. I'm just going on the street. Like I did when I was 14, like I'm 24 now. I can, I can still do that. <laughs> See, that would do be one know- of those things where when I was going up it, I would be in the bike lane because <laughs> I'm very <laughs> slow up hills, but going down, I'd be in the street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like one of the other things that we um, are kind of hoping to tackle or like bring light to with the organization is how many places like are just inaccessible by bike in Des Moines. And a lot of it's a product of kind of I-235 running just north of the city and a lot of the on-ramps and stuff kind of cut off traffic in a way that doesn't make it bikeable. I live in, well, I-235 is sort of the inner city freeway, you could say. It was built after 235 was built um, and it cut through a bunch of the city. Um, Brandon was looking at the GIS map last night and looking at how many houses were destroyed. Um, There's like most U.S. cities, it tore down a historically black neighborhood, the Center Street neighborhood. Um, there, so there's sad and interesting history there. Um, but yeah, so I live in West Des Moines, like right on the cusp of Des Moines and West Des Moines. And then there's this underpass under 235 that is um, 73rd Street, and it is probably maybe the most poorly designed underpass ever there <laughs> it is unsafe for anything but a car and i don't i don't even feel safe driving through it like the other night maybe like a month ago i saw somebody just drive off the road and slam into a a light pole and i mean he was drunk i went to help him he was pretty drunk so that's maybe a um a unique case but anyways brandon and i went on a walk under there a few nights ago just to like sort of gather some data because I'd never walked under there before it's so unsafe and it's like parallel to a train track and you get under the underpass fine on foot but you could do it on bike but then the only way to get over a little creek is to walk on a train track that has like these slotted what would you say like just bars or yeah it's like a a rail bridge yeah it's a rail bridge so it's not it's not accessible via bike it's not safe with even as a pedestrian and you would probably only walk that to get to either the walmart or the high V. so like you could get there but then getting back you'd be carrying groceries or whatever and it's just like i'm not going to risk falling literally 30 feet into a rocky creek to get 
my oat milk and my tofu. <laughs> like I'm going to drive. The alternative is to take your bike 15 minutes out of your way to get onto the bike trail, which does take you to Walmart, but you have to go like 30 minute round trip out of your way from where I live to get there. So like, it's such a simple thing that could be fixed to redesign the road and include even just like a pedestrian path, but it's just not there. So that's something we're kind of like working on some redesigns for the road that we want to give to West Des Moines City Council. Um, like we have a few ideas of how to make it better, but it's just a very dangerous underpass. I don't feel safe in any form of transit there going under it. <laughs> they are going to add a bike trail. Like I looked at West Des Moines proposed comprehensive plan for the next 10 years and I like gave some input and they are going to hopefully have a bike trail that connects it's hard to explain, but they're going to do something that sort of fixes it and connects the bike trail to the other side of the creek. But it's still crazy that it's just so poorly designed. That's an important thing to bring up, too, because obviously that's why we have people on from the cities on to talk about it. Because, you know, when I go to Des Moines, we are usually just in that kind of downtown area. Although the one thing I will say is that Omaha doesn't have any grocery stores in our downtown area. And there at least is a high V in downtown Des Moines. Because uh, that was one of the questions I had was, uh, you know, how is it to get around outside of the downtown area? Although if I did move there, I would just get an apartment downtown and just probably not leave that area. But because <laughs> owning a house sucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't intend to own one. So I'm curious, like what brought you guys to this work? Like, what was your passion? What, what, where, what are the things that really like ignite you? Uh, you know, you mentioned having a history of cycling with your dad, I think you said, um, yeah. What about, yeah. What about what brought both of you guys to this kind of work? Was it bikes walking? Are you like using public transportation all the time? Like, yeah, I'm just curious to know. For me, like a lot of my interest in it came from kind of my childhood, um, growing up in a suburb, like I felt very disconnected, um, especially from the city, but like from just like the people around me in general, like my, my experience of like observing my community was always through like the window of a car. And so even to the point where like, I didn't really know like where things were, like how to get there. When I was younger, like I was taking a school bus home from school and the bus driver missed my stop and I didn't know how to tell them like where I lived to get back home. <laughs> and I think that was really a product of like car centric design, kind of creating this way of life for not only like adults, but children and the impacts of that. And as I grew up, like I kind of just kept realizing how difficult it really is to like be involved um, when you lack transportation one of the big things in like the suburbs around here which is probably like everywhere but once you get into high school you're kind of just expected to have a car to be able to get to school like at my school nobody really took a bus anymore um and for people like me that like couldn't afford a car uh you kind of either had to like rely on just like walking to school which for me was like an hour walk to get to school um or like rely on somebody else to drive you and it's a really interesting system to like kind of force this on people. Like I was really privileged that I was able to get a car, but I remember thinking when I was like 17, like I need to make enough money to buy a car, but 
I need to have a car to get a job to make enough money to have a car. And so that was an issue for me also. Um, so I'm like really passionate about um, expanding the public transportation system. And I think that that's really something we need to focus on. And it's not just an issue that adults face, but like children really face that issue also. I feel really lucky because when I was a kid, like living in the suburbs of Denver, like when I was in like middle school and high school, before I got my driver's license, uh, you know, I had a history of racing BMX and was always on my bicycle uh, like all around town, but also I didn't realize how lucky I was at the time that, you know, even though I was in the suburbs, we kind of had this like outlet mall area. And like, that's where all the kids in high school worked. That's where like they all hung out. Uh, and there was like a free shuttle that went around our whole town that brought people basically around the whole suburb. And that's pretty, uh, that's not very common in the suburbs, but it would go to all these different stops around town and like, and then, you know, you just hop on there and ride over to the Alamal and see all your friends and stuff like that. And, and even just like that little thing, this little shuttle that had like maybe like 30 seats in it, you know, was like such a radical thing for this like horrible car centric suburb that I grew up in and, and just that little thing. And, and I kind of forgot about it till you just mentioned that but it should be a normal thing. I mean, that should be, you know, you should be able to hop on that. And then I should have been able to hop on that free shuttle and get to the light rail and go to Denver, you know, or whatever. That wasn't the case at the time, but I think that uh, Colorado is planning on connecting Denver and Colorado Springs, which would go right through the town I grew up in. So what, what town did you grow up in? I grew what up, uh, it's a, so it's halfway between, it's halfway between Denver and Colorado Springs. It's called Castle Rock. Oh, my friend grew up in, oh, what's it called? Uh, something Lake. Uh, oh, Lakewood. Lakewood? No, yeah. no not okay. Lakewood. It's like two words. Um, here, I'll look on the map while Sarah's talking. Okay. <laughs> it's probably not by Grand oh, Lake. Palmer, Palmer Lake? Yeah, yeah, Palmer Lake. Palmer Lake. My okay. Ben grew up there. And I've been yeah. there. It was very pretty yeah it's a cool little pretty town my friend uh jose used to manage a steak restaurant down there that we before i was vegan obviously we used to go down yeah, there yeah. make us all steaks <laughs> what do you guys ride i assume you both have bicycles i have a um i had to like remember the what is it again <laughs> <laughs> that's the okay seven, oh trek 720 trek 720 okay sure like a nice. yeah. yeah i have a like an 80s uh trek steel frame single speed bike that i nice. cruise around on <laughs> perfect yeah. des moines pretty flat right no no it's actually no? i mean i don't know how it is compared to maybe other places but i find that i'm always going to have to encounter at least two hills one like no matter where i'm going if not more yeah. uh but i i take it pretty well i we're both climbers so we're both pretty fit um but yeah it's pretty hilly I don't know. Unless you're going along the river, then it's not too bad. So, well, Omaha's the hilliest city I've ever ridden in. It's a nightmare. I've never ridden in Omaha. I've only walked around an old town for a few times. Yeah. Then, wait, but town? yet I just built old I market. Built a, old market. Yeah. Yet I just built a fixed gear gravel bike. I don't know why. I know. That's why I'm like, dude, <laughs> do you know where you live? But almost, I'm also like a 
not able-bodied human anymore. I was such a hater. You've probably heard me talk about this if you've listened to the pod, but like, yeah, not into e-bikes. And now I'm like, hallelujah, e-bikes will change your life. But in Omaha, we, I mean, I started selling them at the shop before we closed down. um, And it was our top selling segment of the market because it was just like, oh, I don't have to be super sweaty when I show up. Oh, that hill doesn't suck anymore. Oh, wind, who cares? You know, like they are something that now I am ashamed that I hate it on because I rely on one very heavily now. Uh, Speaking of able-bodied stuff and, you know, mobility justice and all that, um, and you were talking about, you know, Brandon, when you were a kid, you had to like save up for this thing that would give you freedom and you had the privilege to have the financial wherewithal to do it. One of the conversations that I think is, pretty helpful to keep front and center is the fact that streets are for people and transportation systems should benefit all road users and just access to opportunity is something that we use the phrase a lot access to opportunity because it's like not everybody has the financial or physical ability to drive a car so why are we just like neglecting that entire segment of the population and yes the answer is yes in a lot of cases unfortunately so i just I always like to try to bring up, um, yeah, just the equity piece. And and also just how, you know, you're talking about a highway that destroyed probably red line districts of, of Des Moines, that same thing, you know, 75 North destroyed um, North Omaha, which is historically um, black community. And we also just have to talk about like when we're design over enforcement, you know, a lot of these types of things, because everyone, unfortunately, in this delightful country that we call home, uh, you know, it doesn't really work the same for everyone. And so just making sure, and I don't know what type of diversity Des Moines really has is, you know, Omaha's like a very segregated community, unfortunately still in 2022. Um, but that's just something else that like, we always are trying to be cognizant of is like making sure that yes, you're advocating for like 24 year old white dude planners love you. Uh, but also like what other parts of the community maybe don't have the privilege like I do to go to city council at two o'clock on a Tuesday because they're working and, or they don't have internet access and, or, you know, so I think just like continuing to make sure that you're advocating for more than yourself, which obviously, you know, that's silly to probably even vocalize, but I was just like to make sure that we're thinking about all community members instead of just like what benefits us personally, not saying that that's what you're doing, but yeah, that it's such a big thing that I think at the beginning of Mimi Shower's book, Mobility Justice, which Sarah and I both showed to the screen earlier, like there's this quote that's like unfettered. I would have too, but it's upstairs. Oh, go get it. We can you can show it to I guess this is just a podcast. You have the audio book, bro, don't you? Anyway, sorry, go ahead, Adam. It's on my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know how you could listen to Mobility Justice. It's so dense. I, I have to like read every single six times. I don't have the audio book. I have the ebook. It's but it's on my iPad. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> um, it's like unfettered mobility for one group comes at the detriment of mobility for another one. So yeah, there's such a racialized, um, like the history of suburbanization and car dependent infrastructure in the U.S. is extremely racial, and with this reversing trend, oh, I, okay, I see the ebook. <laughs> we we sort of see the reversing trend, which maybe is slowing down, maybe not, of people moving from the suburbs into cities. But with that comes what's called the suburbanization of poverty. And I haven't read a ton of academic literature on it. That's one of the things I'm doing this summer. Um, we're both doing this summer. And but one way I can just sort of imagine that it's coming about is if you think of cars as like a debt trap, which they are. 
for lots of reasons than if you're if affluent people are moving into cities and um, they're being gentrified and market rates are going up for not just housing but for food and other city costs then um, people who can't afford to live in cities are forced to live in the suburbs are forced to own a car to get anywhere and thus they're being kept in poverty even more and so we it's it's maintaining the hierarchy even even now um so we have to be very aware uh it's getting to the top of the hour and so to be respectful of your time what uh oh i do okay so one last question as far as like how can folks get involved aside from following you on facebook are you going to have public meetings or zoom meetings or you know any kind of ways for other folks to get going and does this summer with the or at least september for the car free day is that kind of the the launch or what does that look like yeah so um anyone can reach out to us on our facebook page and we haven't set up anything um right now as far as meetings go but that'll be something that we're doing in the future we want to start our own podcast too, I think, and invite people on. So maybe we can flip the flip the page or the tables. Yes. Love to. As far as the the last point that you're talking about, kind of with with transportation, I think it's also important that we recognize the way that we frame uh, public transit, particularly, is really important. In a lot of cases, public transportation is not something that we're aiming for necessarily, but something that we're trying to take back. Like Des Moines and Omaha both had extensive streetcar systems um, and they were essentially eradicated by car manufacturers. And so I think it's really important to recognize that like it's been done before and we can do it again. All right. Any, any closing thoughts, friends? It was so fun to meet you. Thanks a bunch for reaching out and coming to chat with us. Enjoyed our hour for sure. I told my uh, I told my partner I'd shout out our Instagram page. So if you want to follow vegan climbers, it's just videos of us climbing and vegan food. So. Oh, nice! We like vegan food and climbing. Cool. Yeah, and follow Car Free Des Moines for updates on public events, public talks. Um, we're we're constantly filling it with resources that people can read and educate themselves on things we didn't talk about today, like parking minimums and um, increasing housing density, the 15 minute city, all the environmental problems that come with car dependent design. I mean, there's so much that it intersects with so many other issues in society that it's not just about getting people out and walking and taking away people's cars. Like it's gonna make everybody's lives better in so many ways. We don't, we don't have to live like this forever and we're not gonna be able to. <laughs> And that does it for this episode of Car Free Midwest. We're here every other week with interviews, topics, and documentary pieces covering all things transportation. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Car Free Midwest or visit us at carfreemidwest.com. So subscribe now to Car Free Midwest wherever you listen to podcasts and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash carfreemidwest. This is a production of Figure Podcasts figurepodcasts.com with support from mode shift omaha mode shift omaha.org sarah thanks again for doing this podcast with me good times josh appreciate you